Golay presents Recorded History with TheRecordHub.com 100% Irish and direct to your door. Greetings, podbuds, and welcome to Recorded History with TheRecordHub.com I'm your host, Ed Smith, and this is the podcast where you get into the reads and three favourite records of some interesting people of interest. Yeah, it, you, know, you get the idea. Now, to this week's recorded historian, I've had the honour of meeting Mr. Alex Capranos of Franz Ferdinand numerous times over the years whilst working in Today FM. And as I rather embarrassingly gushed to the man himself, he and the rest of the band, or at least the formation they were in at that time, will always stand out as one of the soundest and most gracious bands I've had the pleasure of dealing with in all my years. So I was really looking forward to chatting with Alex and my hopes that he was just as lovely as I recalled were more than met. I am very relieved to say. Now, I have to put in a disclaimer here, if that's the right term. I don't know. But anyway, due to some miscommunication with Alex's people and my time with Alex being so strict, we only got to chat about one of his album choices in detail. But we do get into what music inspired him, so that's close enough for jazz. And it's just another excuse to get him back on for another episode. So here we go, part one at least of the recorded history of Mr. Alex Capranos. Fresh off the back of their Hits to the Head world tour featuring 20 track greatest hits collection, Banger Machine, it is fair to say, Franz Ferdinand have announced a special outdoor concert at the National Museum of Ireland, aka Collins Barracks, this August the 27th as part of the wonderful Wider Than Picture series of gigs. Now, if that's not enough to get you there, they will have in support one of the best bands to come out of this country in many, many years, the absolutely phenomenal Pillow Queens. And I'm very honoured and excited to say I'm joined by the Archduke of Franz Ferdinand, Mr. Alex Capranos. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time. I hope you liked my little Archduke reference there. That took me about a week. I I, I love that. That, that. that was a great in, in introduction. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm just kind of like... Uh, <laughs> Uh, just uh, basking in the rosy warmth I'll, I'll, of being. I'll give you a minute with that. Uh, I'll give you a minute with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, with the sycophancy. So and, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Pillow Queens oh, as well because uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, to hearing them when we play with them. They seem like a really exciting band. They and are, A lot of people I've spoken to who've seen them say they're, they're they're really something quite special. They are one of the best bands to come out of this country in some time, and it's a perfect mishmash of two very different sounds, which I think, when I hope, and I'm fairly confident, will absolutely complement. Uh, each other on the night. I want to just keep the sick of fancy going just for one min- more minute, uh, Alex, if that's okay. I We've met once or twice over the years. You'll have zero memory of this. But uh, the band <laughs> were in recording sessions for various shows I was producing over the years, Tom Dunn, Paul McClune, and this would be going back eight, nine, oh no, God, no, it's longer than that, maybe 15 years ago. And to this day, right. I will still, I'll still reference it uh, when I'm doing links in and out of Franz Ferdinand songs. The soundest, the nicest bunch of lads I've ever, ever had to deal with when it came to recording sessions with bands. You were absolute gents, so kind and gracious. And to this day, Aww. you lot, and you in particular, were the absolute, you're still the benchmark for what I would, I would say. How Franz Ferdinand were they? There were seven Franz Ferdinands I've made because you guys were absolute professionals, so, so kind and just so lovely to deal with. And I just want to say, finally, after all these years, thank you for that. Oh, that's there well, we go. That's now, really lovely. Oh, thanks very much. Let's get yeah. into Brexit. You know, I, I really love doing <laughs> sessions as well. I, yeah. I, I actively look forward to them because, like, I, I think uh, I used to love listening to radio sessions of bands and like getting cassette copies of radio sessions and that sort of thing. 
when I was a kid growing up. And so I guess it's always had a, a, a special part of my heart set aside for it. And uh, yeah, so still e uh, now, even now, after 20 years of doing it or whatever, I, I still feel it's like a total oh, treat to be able to do it. You were so good every single time you came in and I was so starstruck, but you put me at my ease. I think I was only young on the job then. I was like, oh, Franz Ferdinand, oh my God. But instant, instant niceness. Oh, anyway, so look. Well, thanks for looking after us. No, not at all. The, the tea I'm sure I served was absolutely top notch. I have no doubt about that. <laughs> uh, I want to just go back, I suppose. Look, you've just, are you finished or are you coming to the end of your hits to the head tour? How, at what stage are we at with that? Well, I, I guess at the moment we're, we're, we're playing, I, I'm, I'm in France at the moment. We're playing a festival here tomorrow night. Um, and then we're off to Poland after that, then back to Germany and back to Spain. After that. We're doing a lot of uh, European festivals. Um, we were just in the States as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we, we're, we're kind of like coming towards the end of the hits to the head kind of touring at the moment. And I know the personnel of the band has changed uh, over the last couple of years, but I'm, I'm assuming, maybe never having been in a band myself, that going on an extensive tour like that is probably the most surefire way to get everybody on the same page and sounding, you know, the way Franz oh, Ferdinand should sound. Or is that yes, absolutely. And, and also, I think um, within two or three gigs, you you know whether you're going to work together or not. You know, like it's it's the real test. And if somebody's not cut out for it, then they're going to disappear pretty quickly. And But the more you tour as well, the closer you become and you, you get to this kind of there's a really sort of like glorious, magical point you get to with a band when you're touring where everything becomes almost subliminal. Like there's there's no verbal communication on stage at all. Everything's almost done by, it's almost like telepathy, you know, like every, everybody knows how each other's moving and how each other's responding. And uh, I absolutely love it like that. Yeah, it's, I it's saw great. That with the, only, the only other time in my, my personal experience I've, I've found that has been a similar situation is when I used to be a chef when he worked in a, a really good kitchen with 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 great chefs who were like really on it, you yeah. would have a similar kind of symbiotic sort of organism where everybody just moved in and out of each other and never bumped into each other and everything was always coordinated and just happened as if by magic simultaneously. Yeah, yeah I'm just going to say, sort of I saw that with the Rolling Stones. I've only ever seen the Stones once live and I saw them in Croke Park a couple of years ago. And listen, you know, Mick and Keith, their relationship, off stage is, is what it is. I'd say they barely speak, I'll mm. be honest with you. But when they, <laughs> yeah. when they were on That's stage, expensive. it really just like, whatever, 60 years they're playing together, that they had this absolute magnet, magnetic chemistry between them. That They just looked across at each other. I've seen it with the likes of R.E.M., Michael Stipe and Peter Buck, you know, but this is, I suppose, for any band, this is where the zenith where you need to be, like you're saying, with new members, when you all kind of fall into into step with each other. Just to go back, I suppose next year we'll mark the 20th. I know it's crazy to probably think about it. The 20th anniversary of the release of your debut album. Back in 2004, for anyone doing the maths. And I suppose I wanted to ask, you know, going back, how do you look back now on those 20 years? I mean, it's a big ask to, to put this to you at the start of the chat here before we get into your recorded history. But the 20 years now, you're kind of still touring. You're still, you know, knocking out the sounds. You know, when you look back, does it feel like 20 years? Um, oh gosh, uh, not really. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not very good with nostalgia yeah. if I'm totally honest. And, uh, so I, I tend not to look back that often, which is why it was kind of like quite an unusual and actually quite refreshing experience to put together the, the hits to the head record, because 
a lot of the songs, a lot of the recordings, I was actually listening to them again for the first time mm. since we recorded them. Because usually when I make a record, I'll just, that's it, it's done. Once once it's mastered, that's it, it's away. It's not for me to listen to anymore. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed that and and, and quite enjoyed uh, the, the this uh, new experience of like looking back over my shoulder. Uh, but does it feel like 20 years? I, I Yes and no, simultaneously. Like it feels like, Yesterday that we were like sort of uh, writing those songs and playing them for the first time, uh, yet it also feels like a completely different world in which we were doing that. To go back, I know you've just mentioned uh, quite you know, clearly that you're not a man to look over your shoulder just briefly. But if you don't mind, I'm going to w- ask you to wallow in the past just for a few minutes as we kind of del- <laughs> as we del- okay. if it's okay, but just wallow around in the nostalgia of years gone by, just to get into your recorded history a little bit, Alex. You know, so born in Sunderland. You moved to Glasgow, just outside Glasgow, was it at the age of seven? Uh, your father's Greek and your mother uh, English. Was What were the records that you remember lying around the house? Was it a musical house growing up? Yes, it, it was. Like my, my dad played guitar. Like my, my dad used to play in groups uh, when he was a teenager in, in South Shields. Uh, like my dad moved from Greece when he was about 10 to right. South Shields in the northeast of England. And so he used to play in in a band. They used to do like I don't know, like R and B sort of uh, uh, and Buddy Holly songs, like like a a, a bit of uh, Bo Diddley and that sort of thing. And so yeah, he played in the workmen's clubs around South Shields, and he always had a a guitar line about the house. And uh, I, I I guess my first experience of live music was you know hearing and seeing my dad play guitar, which was. I don't know. It, 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 looking back on it, I think that was a very positive thing because I didn't just see music as this thing, this abstract sensation or experience that came out of the box in the corner of the room. I saw it as being uh, having a human source, uh, which was really good. But my mum was maybe more into her records than my dad. Like my my mum was a big uh, music fan. had had lots of singles, uh, lots of LPs, uh, big big Beatles fan. And uh, so my, my early, early childhood record, uh, recollections are mainly like listening to my mum's singles, like like um, uh, Elvis singles yeah. and lots and lots of Beatles and Stones and Roy Orbison, uh, that kind of thing. And then also, um, like a lot of kids of my generation, uh, the new music that I, I came across were through the medium of radio and TV. So Top of the Pops was a big thing for me. And also um like the chart countdown on a Sunday night. Yeah. I remember me and my mum used to used to sit with uh, you know, one of those radios with a single speaker That's and right. a cassette yes. deck yes. built into it. Yeah. And we used to make our own compilations by uh working out what songs were in the charts and which and, and how we could record them. Um off the the chart countdown, and we we would make cassettes so we could listen back to them again during the week. And so I, I guess the bands that I, I liked at that very formative age, uh, sort of like so sort of just pre-teens, would be things like I guess the tail end of punk, yep. uh, things like the Buzzcocks and Blondie, and uh, the early ska stuff that had a big impact on me. I loved the specials; like I was obsessed with the specials, liked Madness. Um, and other things like I guess like Human League, Adam and the Ants, yeah, you know, like like I that that felt so exciting to me when I was a wee boy, and 
yeah, that 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 music had a a, a big impact on me. Like, because it seemed it did all the stuff that pop music should do, as in it was instant and got you excited, but it also felt dangerous. Mm. You know, like it, it felt in in a way that maybe pop music didn't. I'd say about five years later, and when you kind of like start getting into the the new romantic sort of stuff, um, uh, or at least to me anyway, at that time, like like music felt kind of, you know, stuff for the naughty boys, like stuff if if you were an outsider, if you were rebelling against the system, like you know, I remember seeing uh, reward on top of the pops. Oh and that sort wow! Of thing. Like, totally yeah. blowing my mind, and just the the sound of the music then just felt yeah very exciting, and uh, I, I think that's probably had a very formative um impact on you, you uh, my approach to music you came up through the 80s then. so the 80s would have been you uh, what 15 16 and 14 15 16 as we've mentioned as you mentioned there it's really such a vital I, again i say this every single time i talk to a musician it seems to come up those years the four, 13 14 15 years of age how important how significant and how much of a blueprint uh it sets for the rest of your life it's been proven scientifically that the music you love when you're at that age kind of invades your DNA for the rest of your life. And you tell a you tell a lovely story about you and your friend, Andrew, uh, walking down the street. I think you maybe had your guitars with you. Maybe this is apocryphal now, but you'll tell me, obviously. And you were trying to work out some of the Beatles chords. Couldn't quite get there. Ah, yes, I Couldn't quite, couldn't quite get ah, there. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And then you said, listen, oh, F this. Uh, let's write our own songs. It's easier than learning other people's songs to write our own. And I want to talk to you about that experience. You just went, look, let's just do our own stuff. Yeah, no, that, that's pretty much exactly it. Like, so it's my best pal at school is this guy, Andrew Conway. Uh, we're still friends. I still see him when I'm back in Glasgow. Um, I, Andrew, we were both a year younger than everybody else in our year at school. And uh, we we're both kind of like, yeah, sort of slightly oddball, very much outsiders compared yeah. to the rest of our year. And we didn't really like the music that was particularly popular at that time. I certainly wasn't in the charts. And uh, it was before I'd discovered, like, shortly after that, I started getting into, I guess the Smiths were my introduction to kind of like alternative music. And then through that, I got into like other bands, like from the leading into like uh, uh, the wedding present and uh, up to like, I guess all the sort of Manchester bands and that sort of thing happened later. But until until I got into the Smiths, um, Andrew and I can like were sort of rejecting contemporary music. We felt it was too sort of glossy and poppy and um, just overproduced and over overthought about. And we we really loved the rawness of the Beatles. And uh, you're right, we we both started learning guitar at the same time. And um, I had a book. Uh, called the Complete Beatles, and it was spelled C O M P L E A T Beatles. Oh, and we got that to, uh, to to learn how to play our favorite Beatles songs. And yeah. we'd learned a few chords ourselves, and we were trying to play them. We were playing along with records, and it just sounded so wrong. Like it, like literally clashing. Like it sounded atonal. Like as wrong as you could possibly be. And we just thought we were making a mess of it. We thought we were useless. We just thought we were really, really bad at playing Beatles songs. And then, like you said, I said, F this, you know, like, let's not play Beatles songs. Let's write our own because then nobody can tell us that we're doing it wrong. Uh, because 
we we we're the masters of our own destiny here. We we decide whether it's supposed to sound like that or not. And so that's that's really when we did start writing our own songs. And it wasn't until years later, I was in my uh, I was in my wife's uh, apartment, and uh, she had the same book that used oh to belong my to her. God, dad. I was like, really? No way! I used to have this book as a kid, and I picked it up, and uh, I just opened it up for um, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And so this is. God knows how many years, like 40 years later or something like that. And uh, 30 years later. And um, I started playing Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And this is after many years more of playing songs, I guess having a bit more experience. I was just like, Can I, hang on, this is, this is totally wrong. Like I was reading the chords and playing lumps. And then I saw like, I, saw, I, stuck the, I stuck the record on, I was playing along with it. I was like, it wasn't us that was wrong. It was this bloody book. And the book was completely wrong. It's got the the, the chords are completely wrong. No I don't know who way. wrote it. I don't know who put it together, or whether it's a simplified version of the songs or something like that. But they're completely wrong. But I've got to thank yeah. whoever it was yeah. that put that book together because it spurred me on to write my own songs. Without that disappointment and sadness and frustration, we never would have had Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> out, exactly. Out of such acorns. Uh, let's we'll skip on ahead a little bit, Alex, because. I know we're against the clock here slightly. You know, from the early 90s, you were mentioning just as we were off air there, uh, one of the records in your recorded history that was so influential on you in your early 20s. Uh, you were in Glasgow. Had you finished college at this time or were you were you hanging around Glasgow? Where were you at this stage? Right, so this point, I, I guess Glasgow, early 90s, I, I think, I, yeah, maybe just like towards the end of being in college. Like I, I went to... Oh my college! Wow, now there's a there's a fiasco. I'll 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 try and be brief with that. Um, I was supposed to study philosophy at, at Glasgow University, but I flunked my higher maths and ended up taking the insurance offer on my application form, which was I'd written down divinity as a laugh. <laughs> so you did theology then. Ended up when I was seventeen. I ended up spending a year in, in Aberdeen uh, studying divinity with a bunch of guys who were like, I guess about my age now, uh, who felt their calling was to be in the uh, the ministry for the Church of Scotland. And <laughs> I didn't last very long. Oh my uh, God. I, I, then I dropped out and um, uh, I, I worked as a chef for a while. That's when I first started chefing. And eventually I went back and uh, studied a bit of catering, but wasn't really into it. Then I went uh, and studied English Lit. I guess it'd be about that sort of time. Uh, early nineties, I, I I wasn't a great student. I'd, I'd started doing a a club in a place called the Thirteenth Note in Glasgow, where I used to put on bands, and I was playing in bands myself as well. And a lot of bands that went on to kind of like have an impact on the world would play there, like Bell and Sebastian played there for the first time, and Mogwai and Urusai Yatsura and Bis. There was a great scene at that point in the early nineties. It was a a lovely kind of like a social group to be like very large sort of social group to be part of. But I guess at that point as well, I was writing songs too. And I guess I was thinking of songs in that slightly different way of, um, I guess like the way I was studying English at the time, I was sort of thinking about songs maybe from a more critical perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And rather than just listening to it and go, oh, that's a good tune. I was sort of like maybe analyzing it a little bit more. And maybe when I was coming across examples of strong and beautiful songwriting, uh, I was really struck by it. 
And that's what draws me to this next artist, uh, which is Dory Previn. Um, and this, I, I don't know if you know much about Dory. No, Previn, I don't. But, I don't. Uh, she's know. A, a fascinating figure. She was, uh, she was married to Andre Previn. Okay. Um, and Andre Previn left her for Mia Farrow. Oh, and, okay. And when that happened, Dory had a, a major psychological crisis. And uh, she ended up in an institution. And uh, up to that point, she'd been a songwriter, but she was more of a, a, a kind of like a, a, a librettist for um, musicals and West End shows in New York. She's a very sort of New York kind of person. But as part of her therapy, she wrote down all of her experiences and everything that was going through her mind as her way of recovering from this mental breakdown. And uh, so there were her first two albums, um, I guess, were, uh, I, I, I'd say that they're probably like, they have the songs that, um, that mainly came out of those splurges of ly lyrical ideas and, and music writing. And, this, and, and at this point as well, Dory wasn't a young woman. I think she was in her 40s, maybe mid-40s at this point, when she suddenly became a singer-songwriter. Wow. And so she's not really your conventional pop star in any kind of a way. Um, and her songwriting is, I don't know, it's breathtakingly good. If, 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 if there's anybody listening to this who's a songwriter themselves, Go and listen to how Dory writes lyrics and how she weaves them in amongst the music. It's absolutely Dory masterful. Dory Previn. Like, she's absolutely incredible. And her lyrics, they're a mixture. Sometimes they are brutal, 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 raw, open revelations. It's like having a a slashed wound in your flesh wow, okay. and apart the edges to show the world. And uh, that's what she's doing with her soul, with her soul, with her soul. Um, on her first album, uh, on my way to where, uh, there's a song called beware of young girls, which is pretty much about, uh, about Mia Farrow, uh, seducing her husband and taking, taking him away and how she was destroyed by it. Um, uh, was it Beware of Young Girls of Twenty and One? Uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 very 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 direct and very painful, and you know exactly what it is she's talking about. There's also a song. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, yeah, I've got the lyrics here. Beware of young girls who come to the door, wistful and pale, of twenty and four, delivering daisies with delicate hands. Uh, too often they cr crave to cry at a wedding and dance on a grave. And then, wow. uh, oh God, yes, yeah, some of the lines are so powerful. Um, uh, she was my friend. She sent us little silver gifts. Oh, yes, she did. Oh, what a rare and happy pair. She inevitably said as she glanced at my unmade bed, she admired my unmade bed. I mean, it's, it's so heart-wrenching. And sitting in this delicate, sweet, almost whimsical musical setting, it kind of, yeah, it's 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 proper heartbreaking stuff there. And uh, just to go back, look, I must so Dory Previn, I'm writing that down now. And for anyone listening to the podcast, get on it. This sounds absolutely, you've done an amazing job. 
uh, of selling that. Oh, I've just been told we've got five minutes, so I'm going to rattle on just to go back. Sorry, this is my fault. No, no, it's my fault. Uh, away. Sorry. Uh, not at all. So, um, okay. So things, do you think like, I mean, sorry, I'll start again, Max. I'm a bit rattled. I just saw the message coming in. Uh, so things progress quite quickly, Alex, between forming Franz, Franz Ferdinand, signing to Domino in May 2023. You went to Sweden to record the debut album and then Darts of Pleasure came out before hitting, obviously, the stratosphere in uh, April of 2004 with Take Me Out. It must have been quite the whirlwind. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't something I was expecting. And I guess maybe, in a way, that's why somebody like Dory... Uh, I, I find like a certain empathy with Dory because uh, I was 31 when our first album came out. And by the time I'd got to 27, I presumed, you know, like that's the, the death of the age of the rock star, isn't it? Or the age of death of the rock star. So like, <laughs> I just presumed that nothing was going to happen to me. So when uh, that first album took off, it, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. And then you'd been previously signed... Uh, to, was it to a Dutch label uh, with your previous band? Right, Road, Roadrunner Records. Roadrunner Records, yeah, yeah. Corel I was so, in a few bands, you know. I was in a band called the Corellian. Uh, yeah. we, we we were originally called the Blisters. We did a record on Roadrunner. There was a, a band called the Amphetamines. We we did a, an album. I was in a band called uh, the Yummy Fur briefly as well. Uh, they did a couple of albums. And uh, other bands like the Tenp Invaders, like, which existed briefly or... Ollie Ball and like That's, it was a, scene, it was a scene. scene. There was sounds... loads of bands I was in before, and and yeah. like like I'm sure it's similar in the Dublin scene. Like like uh, it's very. In fact, I was hearing about Pillow Queens. Like they were all oh, yeah, in different true. bands before they formed this band. And yeah, that's very much what Glasgow was it like. Just, when I I'm was just low key playing. obsessed with that scene. It was just so vibrant and fertile. You know, so many great bands that you've mentioned previously as well. And there's that beautiful film of you all returning to France uh, to reenact that that famous gig as well, which I 100% recommend anyone checking out. Listen, we're almost out of time. I just want to get a quick look at the future uh, before we get too bogged down in the past. But Alex, look, you know, you've got the best off has come out. When or can we hope or even expect? I know you, the pandemic had quite an impact on your kind of the schedule in your mind for the next release of the sixth album. Can you tell us where you're at with that? Oh, yeah, sure. I, I'm very happy to. Uh, um so just before we came on this burst of touring here, uh, we recorded 12 songs. We'll probably record a few more. Uh, we're playing a couple of them live. And uh, basically when we finish it, it'll it'll get out there, yeah. which I, I can't imagine being too far away, but I don't actually have any dates as yet. Great. Well, we really cannot wait to hear it. And listen, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time. You're in France. You sat there and you listened and you told your story beautifully. Sorry, I couldn't get much more uh, time with you. But I want to just say to everyone out there, get your tickets right now. You can get your tickets at ticketmaster.ie or singularartists.ie. It's live at the National Museum of Ireland in Collins Barracks, Sunday, 27th of August. It is the might, the majesty of Franz Ferdinand and the brilliant Pillow Queens together as God intended, bringing two of the great bands together on one stage. It's going to be an absolutely spectacular night. And Alex, so have you been. I will be checking out a lot of the artists and albums that you've recommended here today, as will many of the listeners. And you're an absolute gent as ever and as always. And thank you for being so kind in the past to a young, trembling producer and dealing with me as an older podcaster 
with the same dignity and and uh, and and kindness. Oh, Ed, you've been great. Thank you so much. And I, I wish we could have talked about music a bit more. I, I could have spent hours chatting with you about my favorite records. But you know Sorry what, Alex? That. We we can try and sort something out in the next little while, and we'll get a proper uh, we'll get a proper natter about it. Uh, that would be lovely. That would yeah, be really nice. Right. Yeah, that'd be you're great. You're a great man. Uh, cheers, and thanks uh, for being so hospitable. Not at all. Thank you so much. Take care. So there he goes now, off into the universe to be absolutely lovely, interesting, and engaging with somebody else. Mr. Alex Capranos, a legend. Just to remind you as well, to get your tickets to see Franz Ferdinand and the Pillow Queen, they're playing Collins Barracks this Sunday, the 27th. Ticketmaster.ie outlets and all that kind of carry on. The name of the festival they're taking part in is Wider Than Pictures. A great series of gigs, and that'll be one of the best of them. It's going to be an absolutely sensational show. Now, if Alex has inspired you to go and buy one of the records that he's mentioned, or at least one you love yourself, then I would absolutely love it if you supported our partners at therecordhub.com. We simply could not make this podcast without their staunch support. Next week's guest is Mr. Oh My My, Oh My My, Oh My My, July himself. It's Monday. I've been Ed Smith. This has been Recorded History. You've come this far, so... If you wouldn't mind hitting the old follow and subscribe shenanigans there on the way out, I'd be absolutely very much grateful. And don't forget, above all, subscribe to yourself. You all make the most amazing cups of tea. Good luck. Go Loud presents Recorded History. Hosted, produced and researched by me, Ed Smith, at Go Loud Studios. The show was created and executive produced for Go Loud by D. Ready. Our series is proudly supported by TheRecordHub.com, your local Irish and online record store.